0: All right, so good morning, everybody. Today we are going to be looking at Romans 14, verses 1 to 23, and then um, Romans 15, 1 to 13. It's a really long passage. And before we get started, I'd like for you to think about your reaction to a couple of different situations. Let's say you're out to dinner with friends and the waiter comes to take your drink order and asks if you'd like to start off with a glass of the house Chardonnay. And one of the ladies at the table immediately says, we're Christians, we don't drink alcohol. How does that make you feel in that moment? How about this? You meet a nice Christian lady in your neighborhood, and as you get to know her, you notice that anytime she talks about scripture, it's always the King James Version with all the these and the vowels and all that kind of stuff. One day she says, you know, the problem with the church today is that it has been hijacked by all these unbiblical modern translations of the Bible. I won't go to a church or read anything that uses anything but King James Version. What do you say? What do you do? What do you think? How about this one? You're at the mall, and you see all these little Amish ladies, and they're all dressed the exact same. Every single one of them, dressed the exact same. What kind of thoughts go through your mind when you see, when you see that? Is anyone brave enough to say what you really think? Probably not. Okay, that's all right. I'm going to step in it later. All right. The, yeah, go ahead. You mean the Amish? The Amish. Yeah. Or even the yeah, that yeah.
1: They're willing to put an outward appearance
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, doesn't mean their inward right. is, is different. Right. But they are willing to stand out as a minority.
0: Yeah, exactly. They, they are living out what they believe is their faith. Yeah. And there is something to be said for that. Absolutely. So these, modern, these, these are kind of modern day issues that I feel like Paul was trying to address in principle um, in, the, in our passage today. And, and it's a really long passage. You guys know that one of my biggest critiques of Paul's writing is that he uses so many words. He uses so many words. And I've been reading these, these passages for the last couple weeks. And I was trying to come up with what is the thought that summarizes these passages. And I believe that the point of all 36 verses, yes, I did count them, um, is found in Romans chapter 15 verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to share it in the message translation because I believe that it gives uh, It makes it really easy to understand. This is not an endorsement of the message translation. Do not use it as your primary source of Bible study. It uh, It is a paraphrase. But I think sometimes Eugene Peterson can put words and explanation to a thought that helps us really capture it and understand it. And so this is what it says. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? All of us who claim to be um, Christ followers, we all have a job to do. What is that job, you ask? Well, let's look at Matthew 6.33. Who has that verse? So, we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So, think about it this way if everyone is seeking the kingdom of God first, then we will always be making decisions that honor God and build up one another. So, we could say that this is kind of the overarching principle of this passage those who are strong build up others. But of course, Paul can't just leave it at that. He's got to give the Romans some examples of what he means using lots and lots of words. In chapter 14, he's going to give us some practical applications of the doctrine, all the doctrine that he's been teaching up to this point. When looking at this passage, Romans um, 14, the whole chapter, my ESV study Bible gives this kind of introduction. He says, Paul addresses a specific dispute, probably over whether Christians need to abide by Jewish food laws. Paul clearly sides theologically with the strong who did not feel compelled to follow those laws, but he encourages them not to despise or scandalize the weak. Okay, so let's so let's just dive into it. Let's just get busy, get into it. Let's who's got Romans 14 verses 1 to 4? So let's define a couple of terms here. Who is Paul most likely referring to when he says, except the one whose faith is weak? Who, who are the ones who Paul is saying their faith is weak? A new Christian. A new Christian, but he's got us more specific. The, the Jewish, it's the Jewish Christian, right? The Jewish convert. That's who he has in mind. They, think about this, their entire lives, growing up in the, in the Jewish faith, their entire lives, they have followed these strict dietary requirements. It's part of their religion and part of their culture. And these rules regarding clean or unclean foods, it wasn't just eat this, don't eat that. I mean, it had, it, it qualified or unqualified a person to even be able to worship. So, I mean, it's a really big deal to them. These people had lived their whole lives thinking that eating this or eating that would make them unclean and unable to worship. And you can't just change that kind of thinking overnight. So so the next one would be, who is Paul implying are the ones who are strong in the faith? Most likely, the Gentile Christians who were who felt free to eat anything. Now, what does Paul? What does Paul say? He does not want the people to quarrel over or argue about. What does he say? And that's in the very first verse. What does he say? Opinions. Yeah, don't argue over opinions. The NIV says disputable matters. So right off the bat, Paul is saying that this food issue, it's a secondary issue. If you have a secondary issue, then there must be something that's primary. Does that make sense? If you're going to have a secondary issue, you've got to have a primary issue. And so what's the difference between a primary issue and a secondary issue when we're talking about the Christian faith? Does anybody have any thoughts on that?
2: say a primary issue is what God teaches us in his word. I would say a secondary issue is our opinions of how we translate some of these things and come up with, uh, it's just not our
0: Sandy is saying that there are some things that are are based on what God is teaching you versus, like, maybe how people live that out. Maybe their interpretation. Morgan.
1: When we talk about this at home, it's matters of salvation Mm -hmm. and then matters of living life. Right. It's it's kind of the delineation.
0: Yeah. So salvation versus how you live out that salvation. Yeah. Dawn. Dawn. I mean, I think it could be, but I think we're also personally convicted of primary, we could also be um, convicted of primary issues, like, like, like this is, so this is the way I define it. And we're talking about salvation, it's primary to salvation. So primary to salvation is the Trinity. You have to, like, you have to believe that God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Holy Spirit, like, you, you know, that is essential. It comes down to essential for salvation and not essential for salvation. Um, So, for example, some primary issues that are in the Christian faith, and these are non-negotiables if you're going to call yourself a Christian. You have to believe in the Trinity. You have to believe in salvation by faith alone. Christ's substitutionary atonement, the fact that he took the place of us for our sin. The virgin birth would be another one. And then the resurrection of Christ. I mean, these are essential Christian doctrines. That if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, they're essential. But secondary issues are kind of like Sandy said, like your opinions on how to live those things out. So, you know, Paul in our passage is is rightly pointing out that this food debate is an issue of Christian liberty, and in the grand scheme of things, it's a secondary issue. Does eating or not eating certain foods change your salvation status? No. As a friend told me, she said, these are the issues we will argue about in heaven. Okay, secondary issues are things that we may argue about in heaven, which the connotation there is that we're all gonna go to heaven, with these secondary issues, they're not. The secondary issues are not going to keep us out of heaven. We're, we can go there and we can argue over it. So, what are some secondary issues in the church today? Anybody brave enough to talk about secondary issues? Music. Music. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Alcohol. Alcohol. Yeah. That. That's one what movies Movies? exactly exactly um, (coughs) oh facial hair yeah yeah hair coverings right women wearing their little hair coverings how about um, how about this one child baptism versus dedication and two of my theology boyfriends uh, R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur have differing views on this and don't tell me that that's going to keep them out of heaven right as long as you don't believe that's a primary issue right and that's what happens <laughs> yeah yeah and that but see that's what happens and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later but a lot of times we get into trouble because we elevate these secondary issues to be primary and then we split right when we and we split the debate over gifts of the spirit it's a secondary issue not that it's not important not that it's not important but i do believe that some of my many of my charismatic friends are going we're going to be in heaven together how about end times theology are we all going to be raptured, and then there's going to be seven, you know, years of, you know, tribulation? I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But there, but there are people that don't agree with that, and you know what? Like, that's okay. So there are a lot of there are a lot of things that we can we can um, have we can read the scriptures we can read the scriptures and we can come to very different conclusions again don't, you can't when we're talking about secondary issues it isn't always just a phenomenon of the weaker brother or the stronger brother because like i said RC Sproul and John MacArthur do not agree on these issues but that but it is not affecting their salvation they can vigorously debate it, and it's pretty funny watching them do that, by the way. So, Heidi, yeah? I was going to ask this,
2: but where do you think God puts homosexuality? Is that a
0: a I don't think, I, you know, I don't think that, um, I mean, boy, this is putting me on the spot here. To me, I think that there will be gay people and that who struggle. I mean, it's a sin. It's a sin, and I think that they can be... Saved from that. There's only one unforgivable sin, you know. And so, so in 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 my kind of economy and my theology of it, if they repent of that, they they can still, you know, they can still be there. I mean, we're all going go to go to heaven with sin, you know. And again, homosexuality is a sin, like adultery, like other. They're all. It's all sinful. And so, to me, I mean, I mean, I think the Bible is very clear on that, but it isn't a salvation. It, I don't think it is keeping you from salvation. Can you help me out, Morgan? You, no, yeah. That's what
1: I was going to say. Yeah. You have to recognize that homosexuality is a, it falls into that category of sexual sin. Right. Just like, like you said, adultery is sex mm. before marriage. Right. Lusting. Yeah, yeah. right and some of those others mm-hmm. no, nobody nobody has to know whether you're what what's going on in your brain in terms of lust. Mm-hmm. and yet, homosexuality is just very public you have today it is to for sure yeah have a way mm-hmm. of getting around it and, but judging others mm-hmm. is
0: think about this so when we're talking about primary and secondary issues again primary and secondary unto salvation that's what i'm talking about the thief on the cross did not have time to sit through and think about oh should i baptize my kid or not should i um you know which version of the bible should i listen to hmm, what's my you know what's my sexual status he didn't think any of that and he was going to be in paradise with jesus because he believed that jesus was who he said he was He was saved by faith alone. That's a primary issue. We have to work out the secondary issues. So um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to move on. It's a great discussion. Um, Focusing on a secondary issue without grace-filled love for one another can force it to become a primary issue, and we have seen churches split and lots of harm done when secondary issues are elevated to primary status. And I'm not saying that some of these secondary issues are not important. They are very important. But we need to love each other and discuss them enthusiastically without breaking fellowship over them. So when Paul says that the Jewish converts, he's referring to these Jewish converts as weak, what does he mean by that? What do you think he means by that? He may be what I think he's trying to say is that they're less mature in their faith. Kind of think of a baby Christian, kind of think of a baby Christian. he's not saying they're not saved because they hold on to these secondary issues and traditions um, following the rules like they're they're trying to follow the rules because they believe incorrectly that following these rules is going to get them to heaven. but the fact that they're following them to try to get closer to Jesus is you know shows like you know, they want, they want Jesus. Um, Kim, Tim Keller writes, they have not worked out the implications of the gospel. If you are saved by grace alone, then there is no need to feel you can or must somehow keep God's favor through rules and regulations. So then by implication, when Paul, what does Paul mean when he's referring to the strong? Now in this passage, he doesn't use the word strong, but it's kind of implied. I think it's someone who knows that they are saved by the gospel and they're living in freedom. They know they aren't saved by these dietary restrictions. Jesus had already declared all foods clean. Who has Mark 17:18 to 19? Okay, I'm, I could have messed this up. Was that Mark 17? 18 to 19? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <I'm>
1: 16.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. I, <laughs> I mean, I have a habit of writing the wrong thing, so it could totally have been me. love how mark is so short and to the point you know he's he just throws it out there for us um and so you know jesus said all foods are clean and so the weaker brother here maybe didn't know that hasn't really reconciled that um he doesn't realize that he is free in the gospel but the stronger brother does the stronger brother here realizes this When we look at Romans 14.3, it says that God's servants are the one who eats everything and the one who does not eat everything. He's saying that God has accepted both the weak and the strong. But Paul gives a warning to both of them. He says they're both prone to sinning in this situation. The weak may pass judgment. They may may be like, look at them eating that. I'm just shaking my head. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. The strong are liable to ridicule the weak and saying, look at them not eating meat. They think that eating veggies will save them. You know, that's crazy. I'm going to shake my head on that too. And so in verse 4, Paul is saying, look, you've got to look at the heart. Both the weak and the strong are doing what they are doing because they think it is what will honor God most. And God will honor that. So to summarize Romans 14, 1 to 4, this is the Elizabeth standard version. Some people are not going to be as mature in their faith as you are, so accept them where they are. For example, some will think it's okay to eat anything while others think they should only eat veggies. It's okay, don't look down your nose at them. Don't say, bless your heart, they think they can do this or that because they're not serving you, they're serving God and he accepts them as they are. So let's think, let's think back to the examples I gave at the beginning of the, the lesson you know, like interacting with the King James Version only person. Um, I had an experience, I worked for, or I volunteered for a ministry called Retiree's Prayer Fellowship and for years they used the King James Version for all of their publications and we decided um, you know, to start using the new King James Version because people don't talk in that language anymore and we felt like as an organization it was better and it was easier to understand and all of that. Well, the first issue went out and boy did we hear it from a couple of people, pages and pages of, I mean this one particular guy, it was, it was like a ten page letter as to how we were sinning and how all of these things and he gave a defense for his opinion and my attitude was horrible. I mean I was totally looking down my nose at this person, I'm like how ridiculous they are, But blah, blah blah, I mean it was, nobody was, it was just me and, and my friend, but anyway, I was not. I did not have grace for my weaker brother in that, and and thankfully it didn't go anywhere. But that was just. It showed my heart in that moment that I was not giving grace to them. And so, you know, it, it's easy for all of us to kind of fall into um, that kind of of thing. Um, and so, I think, and I think too, when we're applying this principle, I think that it is best worked out on the individual level, not corporately, not organizationally, but on the individual level. Because like, even in this example with this organization, my attitude against this particular person was not good, but did that mean that the organization, because this one person didn't like King James Version, or not, he didn't like us using something else, Did that mean that they, if they wanted to honor God, needed to go away from, you know, what they wanted to do with an easier-to-understand translation? No. They were free to do that, and the hope would be that this man would also have the same grace um, for them, that that's what they thought was best, and that's how they thought they were honoring God. So it goes both ways, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, too. Um, Okay. So let's move on to Romans 14, five to nine.
2: One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains,
0: So just to summarize this passage Paul says let's go deeper in this idea of accepting people where they are in their faith because they are living for the Lord it might be fun to just go through and highlight how many times Paul says Lord in that passage um, you know some people are going to treat one day more sacred than somebody else and guess what it's okay because they're doing so to honor God and they're giving thanks to him you know, they aren't living unto themselves all alone. No, they're living for the Lord. We all belong to him anyway, whether we live or whether we die. That's why Christ died and returned to life, so that he would be Lord of both the dead and the living. In uh, 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one, and this passage was actually written before the book of Romans was written. And it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul is telling us that because Jesus is Lord, it doesn't matter what we do or do not do regarding these secondary issues. We belong to him. And Warren Wiersbe says, if our first responsibility is to the Lord in prayer, instead of going to their brother with criticism, there would be stronger fellowship in our churches. Think about that if we went to our brother in prayer instead of with criticism there would be stronger fellowship in our churches for the sake of time i'm going to say let's we're not going to read through some of these passages we're just going to if you want to open just have your bible open or your booklet open romans 14:10 to 13 just to summarize this passage i feel like paul is saying Stop looking down your nose at your Christian brothers and sisters. Stop judging them. Why? Because we are all going to be judged by God one day. Remember what Isaiah said? Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So just stop it. But here's what you should do instead. Don't be a stumbling block to your brother or sister in Christ. So back to my King James only example. So let's say that... Um, someone from a King James Version-only church came and they found out I was the director of women's ministry, and they said, hey, would you come and speak to our ladies? Am I going to show them how ridiculous they are and come using my ESV and all of that when I speak to them in my message or in my teaching? No. If I want to seek first the kingdom of God, I am most likely going to teach in the King James version because I want to honor them where they are. And I do not want to be a stumbling block to them. Because think about it, if they if they truly believe, if they truly believe that the best way to honor God is by using this translation and I speak the word of God in a different translation, they're not going to even hear my message cuz they're going to be all caught up when oh they didn't use, you know, they didn't use King James version. I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. And so, again, you've got to look at these situations. It's more on that individual level. It's more on the individual level. And seeking God first when you come up with these situations. And so, when Paul's talking about a stumbling block, he uses, you know, in verse, um, let's see. In verse 13, he uses the word stumbling block, and he also uses it in verse 21. And it means to fall. But it makes you wonder, it makes me wonder, how can eating meat in, someone, in front of someone who thinks it's simple cause them to stumble or fall? And Tim Keller, he had a couple of ideas. He said it could cause the weak to become harsh or condemning, leading to the breaking of fellowship. It could even lead to like more strict legalism. R.C. Sproul calls this the tyranny of the weaker brother. When they take these secondary issues and they elevate them to primary issues and they force them down your throat, that is the tyranny of the weaker brother. And even though the strong are right in that all meat is clean and they are free to that, to continue to to promote behaviors in front of a person you know would be grieved by that is unloving. Tim Keller says, when we deliberately do what grieves another, we are being unloving. Tim Keller gave an example of a high school girl who grew up in a conservative church. She was always told that wearing makeup was a sin. Well, at the Christian school that she went to, there were people there from other churches that were a little more liberal in that area, and all the kids were making fun of her because she wasn't wearing makeup. And so she would get on the school bus, put on her makeup, go to school, fit in, get on the school bus, take her makeup off, right? Tim Keller says, spiritually within herself, she was choosing popularity over faithfulness to God. And as a result, she soon found herself much more open to real violations of God's will in the area of sexuality. She had stumbled because her Christian friends had mocked her principles, misguided though they were. And so in Romans 14, verses 14 to 15, Paul says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. This passage is pretty self-explanatory. It's not what goes inside you that defiles you. That's what Jesus said, remember. But if the weaker brother thinks it does, then love them by respecting their beliefs. Christ died for them too, and he loves them. Tim Keller says, if Jesus died for a weak brother or sister, then we must treat them with utmost care and sensitivity. No matter how weak they are, we must value them. If Jesus gave up his life for them, we can give up our freedom. So ladies, I can't help but think as I read these words and as I hear Paul, I cannot help but think of the mask issue that we all went through over the last couple years. And remember, um, I believe that the best application for Paul's teaching is on the individual level not corporately, not organizationally, on the individual one-on-one with your brother or sister on that level. And I believe there's enough grace in this room for us to be able to talk about this issue because I know that opinions vary widely, but we are not gonna quarrel over opinions, are we? Nope, we're not. But this this was my kind of experience with this. This is how I tried to work this out When the mask mandates were lifted, therefore there was no more authority over me saying you need to wear a mask. I had a decision to make. I had to think about when and where I would wear a mask. Did I want to wear a mask? Nope. Did I think my flimsy non N95 mask did any good to protect me from COVID? Nope. Did wearing the mask hurt me personally in any way? And fogged up glasses don't count. No. Did some of my brothers and sisters in Christ believe that wearing a mask was the right thing to do? Yes, they did. And did some of my brothers and sisters in Christ feel unsafe around those who didn't wear masks? Yes, they did. And so if I'm applying Paul's principles here, and I am going to visit my mask affirming brother or sister, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna wear the mask. It is the most loving thing that I could do. On the flip side, let's say that I have asthma or maybe I have sensory issues where wearing a mask causes harm for me. There are people that that did happen. I mean, and you know, should my mask affirming brother or sister demand that I wear the mask, even though it will hurt me? No, they shouldn 't. This is where that idea of mutual grace and submission comes into play. If everyone is allowing grace for the other person, then we don 't have to argue about it. If I am afraid if I am afraid um, of someone who is not wearing a mask, I need to have grace for them. And maybe I keep my distance. I should not go and demand that they follow what I'm doing. And the same goes, again, we talk about this on the individual level. If I know that I'm gonna be with someone who thinks that they should, you know, that they want people to wear a mask, they're afraid. If I love them, I'm going to wear it. Even if I can't see, I'm going to do that because I love them. Paul says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Take out the word eat and fill in the blank. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you are doing, and you know about it, and you know that this is going to distress them, don't do it because you're not acting in love. Okay, so that's what I had to say about that. Okay, we're going to move on. <clears throat> um, John thirteen thirty four says, A new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Ladies, this whole passage is about loving one another, loving the weaker brother, loving the stronger brother, having grace for each other, Um, If we move on to Romans 14 verses 16 to 18 Paul says therefore do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So we know that it's okay to eat the food, but Paul is saying don't do it, since some people will say that something you know is good is actually bad. I mean, it gets kind of complicated here. It's really not about the food at all. It's about seeking first the kingdom of God and living in righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because those are the ones who please God and will receive human approval. Remember back at Matthew 6.33, he said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek First, honor God in everything you do. Warren Rearsby says, if each believer would yield to the spirit and major in a godly life, we would not have Christian fighting with each other over minor matters. In my experience providing biblical counsel to people, I have come to realize that my counsel to them is always boiled down to a very simple principle applied to their situation, and this is it. Honor God in everything you do. It's very simple. Honor God in everything you do. If you're trying to decide how to handle an argument with your husband, how can you honor God in your response to him? Is yelling honoring God? Nope. Is telling him calmly how stupid he is honoring God? Nope. <laughs> how about passive-aggressively giving him the silent treatment? Does that honor God? Nope. <laughs> it's not honoring God when you treat people in a manner that like in the moment feels good, (laughs) but um, it's not honoring God, and it's not seeking first the kingdom of God, and this principle applies to everything we do, not just disputes in the church over secondary issues. So what are we supposed to do when we come across disputes on secondary issues. Paul tells us in Romans 14 verses 19 to 23, he basically says, I'm just going to summarize it. He basically says, it's your responsibility as a mature believer to live in peace and build up others. Romans 12, 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's talking to the stronger brother. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace. Don't tear down a weaker believer over something as stupid as food. You know it's clean, but if you know that it's going to cause them to stumble if they eat it, if they see you eat it, then don't do it. And you know, keep your thoughts to yourself too. This is your thoughts are between you and God. No need to post snarky memes on social media showing people how dumb they are. I mean, how many of us during this whole mask thing? would see snarky posts on social media either about wearing masks or not wearing masks i mean it was on both sides and it was christians on both sides posting these snarky things don't do it keep your thoughts to yourself use the words that god has given you to build up people not tear them down and getting likes and whatever don't do it You know, people have doubts, and back to my little summary here of, of our passage, Romans 14, 19 to 23. You know, people have doubts, and they haven't figured it out. In this situation, the weaker brother hasn't figured out that eating, that they're free to eat whatever they want to eat. And they, and they don't know that all they need is faith, so they're still holding on to these rules for eating. And again, holding on, thinking that you're going to be saved by what you eat is sinful, but it's not our responsibility to condemn them. In a a Bible study on Romans, Hope Blanton wrote, she said, there is no reason to go parading around with our freedom, forcing it down the throat of every other believer. We move along in faith at different speeds, understanding the implications of our faith at different rates. We must trust God to handle this process in our brothers and sisters. I had a conversation last week with Esther Sullenberger, I think She grew up in the Amish community And they left the church And I was just talking with her I initially had thought I wanted to bring up More details about the Amish And and this, because again That was my incorrect opinion That they were maybe the weaker Brother and thinking that all these rules Were going to save them you know. But in talking with her In a lot of ways they get this right they understand that they are submitting themselves under the authority of their church, and those are the rules that they have for the church, the way they dress, how they live in their home, and all that kind of stuff. But they don't try to force those on the people outside the Amish community. They don't look down their noses at all of us not wearing plain dresses. They they love. I mean, i I just really felt like in that sense, they, they show this well. They, don't, you know, they, they are following the authority that, that, that they have willingly placed over them, all their little rules and their culture and everything. But they're not trying to make us fall into that. They understand that we live outside that, and we don't live in the same authority. That mutual grace that they have, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And so moving into Romans 15one to 4, those of us who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. As I mentioned at the beginning, I believe that these verses kind of summarize the entire passage. Follow the example of Christ. This is what we're supposed to do. Follow the example of Christ. Those who are strong need to understand our brothers and sisters who don't have the same faith that we have yet. They're just not there yet. It's our responsibility to build them up and to help them. In Luke 2, 23, in verses 32 to 34, that's when, you know, Jesus was... um, taken out to be executed and, um, or, or to, be, to be on the cross. And in verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. If Jesus could forgive the people who were crucifying him and, and you know doing all those awful, awful things that they did to them by saying they don't know what they're doing, then surely we can have grace to understand that those who are maybe less mature in their faith haven't quite figured it out yet. But you know what? They're still saved by grace, loved by God, and worth dying for. So Paul is saying, look, you have the examples of the scripture to teach you. These stories, they teach us endurance and courage so that we can have hope and use that to help your brothers. And what's a practical way to build up the so-called weaker brother? How about instead of Bible thumping and finger wagging, what if we came alongside them and discipled them? I've had the pleasure of walking with a young lady who uh, probably politically and in the, and theologically a lot of times we differ. We differ. I mean, polar opposites. Um, but you know what? I've just come alongside her. I have um, tried to teach her the scriptures. She asks me questions. I answer them. And it's interesting. When I first met her, she would have probably... Um, she would have been much more on the pro-choice side of the abo- abortion issue, but we have now come around, and she is seeing it for what it is and is taking a more pro-life opinion. That's maturity. That is maturity. You know, I didn't I didn't finger-wag and say, how, you know, how could you think that? You know, I didn't do all that stuff with her. And look, I'm not saying I, I do everything right because I don't, but it just— it's an example of, as someone matures in their faith, their eyes can be opened to what is true. And that's what Paul is saying, use the scriptures. You have the scriptures. It, it teaches endurance and encouragement, and we can give hope. And so I want you to think about, how are you gonna build up the weaker brothers in your life? Okay, sisters, it's two sisters too. Um, have you considered a grow group? Um, prayerfully consider if maybe God is calling you to disciple someone else a grow group is a great way to do that and i can help you um, do that um, romans fifteen five to 6 i love it here paul breaks out in prayer he's so excited about what he's talking about he just breaks out in prayer it says may the god who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that christ jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the god and father of our lord jesus christ and then um, after his little prayer, he gives us some final instructions in verses 7 to 13. And so remember when I said we are to honor God in everything we do? Well, Paul is saying it here specifically. He's like, when you accept your weaker brother, you're honoring God because you are acting just like Jesus when he accepted you. I mean, we come with all these crazy ideas and all these things, all these beliefs and all this kind of stuff, and Jesus says, I love you, I pick you, I'm going to, you know, I died for you. And as we grow, we come to see what the truth is. You know, none of us are where we need to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be, right? And we are to do this. We are to accept our weaker brother um, because it's part of God's plan, just like it was part of His plan for Jesus to come and serve and fulfill the promises made to the patriarchs and allow the Gentiles into the family, and so Paul then shows shows he was basically saying, "I'm going to show you in the Scriptures where God told us what He was going to do." And so, verse nine quotes Second Samuel twenty-two fifty and Psalm eighteen forty-nine. Verse ten quotes. Deuteronomy 32 43 verse 11 quotes psalm 117 1 verse 12 quotes isaiah 11:10, 10 and it's just it's just to show you i feel like that this was all part of god's plan every bit of it you know he's like i'm going to show you in the scriptures that were written hundreds of years ago that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. He has a plan, and we're going to be hopeful, and so let's praise him. And that's that's his, in, the, in our final verse there, he, in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we close today, let's be countercultural. I know that being snarky and making negative comments about what people believe is the way to get laughs, to get likes and clicks on social media. But instead of pointing out the fallacy in our weaker brother and how they think, how about we come alongside them and love them and disciple them? If your loved one was a recovering alcoholic, Would you drink in front of them even though you're not an alcoholic and you're free to do that? No, you wouldn't do it. Use the gifts that you have and the freedom that you have in Christ to build up your weaker brother or sister. Follow Paul's instructions in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone.